The rest of you, uh, go ahead and uh, grab that insert that's in your programs. As you can see, uh, the passage on the back of, of that is from Romans chapter 11, and that is where we have been for the last several weeks and where we're, where we're going to be for a couple, of mo- a couple of more weeks. We began a couple of weeks ago uh, with this question that basically Paul asked uh, his readers, is God done with Israel? He said it this way in, in the ver- first verse of that chapter. I asked then, has God rejected his people? And he says, absolutely not. Look at me, I'm an Israelite and God has redeemed me. Check out history. Think about God himself. He is faithful. God has not rejected his, his people. In fact, he says at the present time, there is a remnant. Even as there has always existed at, in, in the present time, of course, Paul referring to the time of which he's writing, he says, there's a remnant of people who have believed. Unfortunately, the rest, Paul says, is hardened. They have hardened their hearts against God. God has cooperated with their hardening, hardening their heart and has hardened them to his message. And so that reality of there being a remnant and the rest being hardened was the first uh, emphasis there at the beginning of Romans chapter 11. Then we saw how Paul had this chain of blessing that he referred to in the next verses that would follow what we just looked at. And that, that chain of blessing was basically because Israel has rejected the Messiah, it has then, God has turned his attention to, and in fact, through the ministry of Paul himself, he's turned the attention to the Gentiles. And so what, the, the, what Israel lost was a gain for those who were non-Jewish, the, the Gentiles. The, the message was opened up to them because of the rejection. And that's something that, that's a theme that carried throughout the ministry of Paul. And Paul in, in that uh, uh, says that, that though that blessing to the Gentiles uh, was an incredible thing, it's actually going to be thrown back toward the, 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 uh, is the, the Jewish nation. That as they see what God is doing in the, in the, in the work, that he's, he, they're seeing people that are far from God come to him. They're seeing lives change. They're seeing people have this amazing work of God in their life that there will almost create like a, a jealousy among the Israelites. And that that, that would lead to them uh, being restored back into the kingdom. And that that restoration, Paul says, if if their loss led to a gain for the Gentiles, then how much more when they are restored will there be this incredible blessing for the world? And so he says about his ministry, he says to them, I want you to know then how important my job is. My job is to stir up, as, even as he's ministering, primarily he's the apostle to the Gentiles, even though he himself is a Jew, he is ministering to the Gentiles. He says, my, my ministry is important. Number one, I hope to again stir up some envy among my people that they would desire this thing that I'm preaching about, which is the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and coming again. And secondly, I hope that as I labor, that God would use me to save some. And Paul, of course, was an incredible evangelist, an incredible church planter, but in humility, he recognizes that his work though very, very important, is only a small fraction of all that God will do. And he, so he says, again, very humbly, I hope that what I can do is simply save some. At the end of that passage last week, he used two metaphors. One was a batch of dough and the second was a tree. 
He talked about how that, that there was the, the connection between the root and the branches. And that's where we're going to pick up the, the passage today. And so if you have, again, uh, some, the Bible on your, on your device, or you uh, want to look off the green sheet that was in your program, I'm going to read uh, Romans eleven seventeen all the way down through verse 24. If you would follow along with me as I do that, that would be great. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, and you... Though a wild olive branch, speaking here, Paul's speaking here, by the way, to the Gentiles. Though you, and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the, the, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief. But you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, referring here in an allegorical way Paul is to Israel, if he did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in, because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from your native olive from your native olive tree and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this passage of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that Paul is sharing many, many years ago that applies even to us today separated by miles and distance, years and time, and eons in, in, with respect to culture. But yet, Lord, truth, this truth still prevails, and it's a message you want us to hear. And I pray, God, that as we share for the next few minutes, that you would help us to see that truth and to not only hear it and understand it, but allow it to change us. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. This allegory of the olive tree is, uh, is a really important thing, and this idea of grafting is something that we need to talk about. This, uh, this, this example that Paul uses, commentators have had fun with over the years, trying to understand why he said it the way he said it. And, this, uh, and the reason being is that grafts that happened uh, in the, in, for those who were horticultural experts, always happened from the cultivated tree into the wild tree. The reversal, as many pointed out, is useless and never performed, according to some in history. Some, in fact, some commentators make fun of Paul's urban upbringing, as if he didn't know that this was the backward way of doing things, but others draw attention to verse 24 when he acknowledges that it is, quote-unquote, against nature to do it this way. 
there's a, there's a, a helpful article that was written a long time ago, over 100 years ago. There was an article written by a guy named Sir William Ramsey. And he wrote this article about this particular passage. And it's still quoted even today. Uh, he drew on both some, some, uh, some ancient and contemporary authorities. And the process that, 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 uh, that Paul described, he wrote, was still uh, in use in, in, Palestine, in Palestine in exceptional circumstances. In other words, when Paul is talking about doing the reverse, taking the wild olive tree and actually grafting it into the cultivated olive tree, which again, some scholars say never, ever, ever happened, da, uh, Ramsey found out that this was in use in Palestine in exceptional circumstances. For it is customary to, and this is a quote from Ramsey, it is customary to reinvigorate an olive tree which is ceasing to bear fruit by grafting it with a shoot of the wild olive so that the sap of the tree ennobles this wild shoot and the tree now again begins to bear fruit. Paul's reference according to Ramsey then, therefore, is not to the ordinary process of grafting the young olive tree, but to the method of reinvigorating a decadent, dying olive tree. That's an, that's an, that's an important thing to think about, about the, why Paul is saying it this way. And so, again, it's, it, it, this case that is, that is con- contrary to nature is not all about, it is about the grafting, but it's not only about the grafting, but about the belonging. Namely, that the shoot that has been cut from the wild olive to which it naturally belonged has been grafted into the cultivated olive tree, which it does not naturally belong. And so Paul is talking about how that, in fact, is against nature. Paul develops this allegory in such a way, then, to play on two themes. And basically, there are two lessons that come out of this story of the allegory of the olive tree. And the first is a warning to Gentile believers. Now, if you picked it up, you saw it when I read the passage. The warning to the Gentile believers is found in 20, verses 20 and 21. He says, don't be arrogant, but beware, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Don't be arrogant thinking that somehow and be presumptuous or have some sort of pride about your standing with God. That you have nothing to be proud of. It's only by the fact that the gracious act of God, the gracious heart of God, that he reached into your life and that he changed your life and he created this belonging when there was no belonging. At one point uh, in his writings, Paul talking about the Gentiles said, you, didn't, you weren't a people at one point and now you're the people of God. You didn't change yourself. You didn't do anything with this. God, as we know, Jesus is the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Our salvation begins and ends with God. And so the only thing that we are called to, and you can see it right there in your notes, or I mean in the passage, is we have to live by faith. End of verse 20, or beginning of verse 20, I'm sorry, true enough. They were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. It is only as we believe that the grace of God can be activated and that he can uh, uh, kind of like um, begin to this, this grafting process where we then are belonging to a, uh, to a God to whom we never belonged. 
And that's his point when he says, you weren't a people, you were this wild olive tree, you weren't a people, but now that you have been grafted in, you have been grafted in, and now you belong. And also, hearkening back to some of those other things, that, those other themes that he mentioned earlier in this chapter, where he talked about stirring up envy, stirring up jealousy. Your grafting into that natural olive tree is hope, there is hope in your grafting in to revive that olive tree. That they would create, they would create in, within that olive tree that is dead, that has rejected the Savior. This desire, this jealousy, this envy, so that they too would want what you have. But don't be arrogant. Don't think that this is your work. And all, all, the only thing that you're called to do is simply to stand in and by faith to receive this incredible act of grace that God has for you. That you, though you weren't a people, you, though you weren't part of the, of, of the olive tree, you have been placed in the gracious place of God. So don't be arrogant. That's the first thing. The first thing is a warning to Gentile believers. And it's a good reminder for each of us. I know how easy it is. We walk out there into the world. We experience things in our neighborhood, in the, in the locker rooms of the teams we're part of, the clubs we're part of, the workplace. We experience things and we begin to look at people who maybe don't know Jesus. And we begin to see ourselves in this kind of like puffed up sort of reality. May I encourage you to remember that we are nothing without the grace of God. And there is nothing you did other than believe to receive it. There is no act that we did that made us holy, righteous, pious, perfect. It was the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and his shed blood that when we were filled with him, we were filled with his righteousness. But it's not our own. And so don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. And recognize that it is God who is the author and finisher of our faith. Secondly, there's a promise to Jewish unbelievers. So the warning is to those Gentile believers. The promise is to Jewish unbelievers. And that promise again is found in, in, that, in this chapter, verse 23. And even, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, they will be grafted in. Grafted in Where? into that natural olive tree. They need to be grafted in too. Why? Because God, Paul uses this idea, this imagery of being cut off. They've been cut off. Why have they been cut off? They've been cut off because of unbelief. They rejected the Messiah. And so though the olive tree was always supposed to be completely and totally and perfectly intact, as they individually and collectively and corporately rejected Jesus as the gift from God, they were cut off. But Paul says, if they do not remain in unbelief, those who are cut off will be grafted in again because God has the power to graft them in again. The same God who, according in this unnatural way, took the wild olive tree and grafted it into the natural one, the same God who created a place for belonging where there was no belonging, that same God who did that for those for those Gentiles, will do it for those Jews. Why? Because it's the same God doing the same thing regardless of their ethnic heritage. 
Jewish or Gentile, God is the one who's doing it. He's going to graft them in. And the idea is what? Again, how are Gentiles grafted in? By faith. Why are Jewish unbelievers cut off? Because of unbelief. How will they be grafted in again? By faith. This was Paul's point. Not in a ritual and complete and total observance of the law, but only by faith. Because again, the point is that it is God's work. God is gracious and he is bringing about this salvation through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So if they do not remain in unbelief, they will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. The key word from this passage is the one in our English Bibles, the translation I have, verses 22 and 23, remain. It's the word epimeno. It means, excuse me, to stay at or with, to tarry, to abide, continue or remain. Properly, it was used of tarrying in a place. Like, we're going to stay there for a while. That's the idea of it. And it's used biblically in, in that way oftentimes. Then there's also the metaphorical usage of this particular word, which refers to uh, basically perseverance or continuing in the faith. Uh, It's used throughout Scripture, and one of the ways in which Paul uses it in this very book in Romans chapter 6, he asks the question, and some of you know this this particular passage, Romans 6.1, shall we go on sinning? That's the same word, epimeno, go on, continue, persevere. Should we stick with? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because he's talked in, at the end of chapter 5 about this incredible gift of grace and how because sin is so great, grace is so much greater. But he asks this question, shall, shall we go on epimeno sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. A second example of this is found in the book of Acts, and this also is related to Paul. This isn't a, a book that he wrote, but instead an experience that he had. When he was in Pisidian Antioch, After the services on the Sabbath, there were some people, uh, both Jewish people and and converts to Judaism, uh, that had that followed Paul and Barnabas. They like the service was over, and they're like, "Man, we want more of this stuff." And so the scripture says that Paul and Barnabas talked with them and urged them to epimeno continue in the grace of God. And maybe the, maybe the passage that's, uh, and the use of it that's most related to the, the, what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 11 is found in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, Paul, kind of in the introductory section of that letter that he wrote to the Christians there, beginning in verse 21, reminds them of this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Again, you see the emphasis? They did not make themselves without blemish and free from accusation, but God did that. But check out what he says at the end, in verse 23, wrapping this thought up. So again, they have, be, they have been presented holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you, epimeno, continue in your faith, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. In other words, there is only one thing to stand in, to remain in, to persevere in, to never leave. That's the truth that Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter 11. 
He says to the Gentiles, if you remain, abide, continue, persevere in his kindness, in his grace, then what? You will be one of, the, one of those wild olive trees grafted into the natural olive tree, and you will be connected to the people of God. You who were not a people are now a people. And to the Jews, he says, if they do not remain in unbelief. In other words, what we persist in, if we persist in unbelief, there's an outcome for that. Eternal separation from the Father. If we persist, continue, remain in faith, there's an outcome for that. Incredible relationship with the Father, the promise of eternal life, the promise of abundant life. And so Paul, in the use of this allegory of the olive tree, is again making a very powerful but a very simple reminder. The reminder is about the grace of God. He is the one who is bringing all of, all of this about. The reminder is the response that he desires. That is faith. And the reminder is that for those options that exist, remaining in faith or remaining in unbelief, there are both there are consequences, benefits, so to speak, on one end to, to each of those responses. And God wants to make sure that we understand that and uses Paul to, in this kind of unusual allegory of the olive tree, to remind us of this very, very important truth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're blessed we're blessed to be able to receive by faith that which you offer us in grace. And God, we know that your desire is to bring Jew and Gentile alike into your family, into your kingdom. You are doing that, Lord, all throughout the world. And I pray that we would be reminded today, God, about the importance of our response of faith. That as we remain, as we continue in the only thing that, that will produce the the, the result that leads to eternal life, faith. That, Lord, there will always be that, that temptation to embrace something else. I pray that just as Paul prayed and emphasized to the believers, those ancient believers thousands of years ago, I too emphasize to all of us who are believers today, remain in faith. Because it is in that faith that allows the grace of God, Lord, to be activated to such a degree that we have the promise and hope of eternal life. And I pray, God, that if we are not walking in that faith, that your Holy Spirit would bring us to that place of surrender. Bring us to the end of ourselves that we might see that the only life that is really worth living is the life that you have planned for us. And it's an incredible life. Even as we walk through sometimes pain, tragedy, heartache, struggle, your life is the life. We want to surrender to that God in this moment. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.